Welcome back to another episode of the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation in our denomination. And we realize whenever Reformation happens, it's always messy. And as Reformation starts happening in the Christian Reformed Church, things are getting messy. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. For all of you who are faithfully listening each week, and we are thankful for the positive feedback we continue to get, and we're thankful for the conversations that are spreading throughout the Christian Reformed Church. If you want to help these conversations spread, think of two or three people who would benefit from listening to this podcast and share it with them. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Dan Winyarski. There's just too much political stuff being pushed from our headquarters. And, and it's all going into the third, you know, the third point. It's all from a very left-leaning point of view. Um, there is no balance. And when I when I first contacted employees at the Office of Social Justice, I remember it was it was almost exactly four years ago. And I spoke to Peter Vandermulen, was the director at that time and I spoke to one of the other employees who still works there and we were talking about immigration and every solution quote unquote um, air quote solution to the immigration problem it was all from a very left-wing political point of view and I said why can't we find common ground because there are tens of thousands of CRC members who are 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 paying ministry shares are giving at their church and their church is giving in ministry shares. And that's what keeps these offices going. And that's what pays for all these employees. Why can't we find some balance for some immigration ideas that we can all rally around, you know, rather than just open borders and just blanket amnesty, there's other things. And uh, I still remember I was talking to Peter and I said, are there any conservatives at denominational headquarters that you could run some of these things by before you send them out. And in all seriousness, his response was, yeah, I think there might be one. And I was dead silent because I I said, how in the world in a church of 200,000 members, many of whom are conservatives, can we have employees at the denominational building where the director of the office of social justice says, yeah, I think I know one conservative in the entire building like that doesn't seem healthy to me that's not um it's certainly not diversity of opinion you know and that's what they always claim we want diversity we want inclusion Uh, so Mm -hmm. i said well i'll come i said i'll come i'll bring donuts you tell me the next i was telling the guys i was i actually have part of a donut there but i and i want to finish it but I don't want to, <laughs> you to hear me chewing on, on the, the podcast. So it's over there. Anyway, I said, Peter, I'll bring donuts. You tell me when your next staff meeting, 
I'll get Marge's donuts. I'm going to come and I'll just offer my opinion and you can take it or leave it. And he goes, nah, we're good. Hmm. Like, wow, that says a lot. Um, so then that, I guess that takes, we've gotten a long way to the point four that I, that I had of, of silencing members, because that's what happened Mm -hmm. to me and anyone else like me who said, Hey, here are some really great ideas, either from scripture or from a conservative perspective, or even from our church order or from wherever logic, reason, science, when you get into the global warming, that's another thing. It's okay. Let's talk science because our, our office of social justice is using ministry share dollars to push a global warming, environmental false religion. Cause I'm going to be honest. That's what it is. Environmentalism today is a false religion and they're pushing it in the church. But if you bring that up, the fourth, you know, the fourth area of concern, you will be silenced. You will be censored. You will be intimidated. You'll be told to be quiet. Hmm. Um, but it's it's coming from the top, so to speak, of the denomination. It's not coming from our confessions. It's not coming from scripture, and it's not coming from our church order. Um, so that that gives me, you know, those are the things that concern me the most with the the Christian Reformed Church. And I think if we went back to our church order, our confessions, if we stopped, you know, overstepping authority and lording over our fellow believers on debatable matters. Um, like I said, the CRC is a sleeping giant and it's God is, God is willing to use um, the Christian reformed church to do great things, not just in our own communities and our families, but in our country and in the world. Um, but we've allowed these things, these stumbling blocks to get in the way. And there's, there's a clear path to remove them and get around them. We just need to have the courage to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, as I was listening to you talk, I was thinking that um, most likely the reason you, you have chosen to label yourself an activist is because um, you have just kind of felt yourself bumping up against wall after wall after wall, right? If, if eight years ago or four years ago, as you started talking to denominational officials and, and they were willing to engage in a dialogue with you and hear you out, you probably wouldn't feel so much like an activist. Right. But, but it seems like you haven't, you haven't encountered um, an open ear as you've tried to bring about some questions. Yes, definitely not. And um. You know, I've mentioned some names here, and I don't want to make it about individuals, because mm-hmm. the people that I talk to, I approach as my brother or sister in Christ, because I don't know their heart. I don't know their place with God. Now I can see fruit. I can certainly see fruit. And and if they are in community with me in the Christian Reformed Church, which they are, um, I, I know not only have the... Uh, uh, option, but I think as an office bearer, I have the responsibility to bring it up. I wouldn't go to the United Methodist Church and tell them, you know, whatever their equivalent of an executive director or a director of office of social justice, tell them what to do in the United Methodist Church or in the RCA. That's not that's not me. I'm not an office bearer in that church. I'm an office bearer in the Christian Reform Church. Um. So yeah, it's I definitely definitely felt like I was bumping up against a wall 
uh, every time I tried to talk to someone. And to be fair, I, I was warned about that from people mm. in my church who had tried it over the years and knew from experience that it was not fruitful. But I guess I was naive and, and dumb enough to try it myself. So, so I did. Yeah, which it, it's really an interesting, um, I don't know, it, it, it just kind of blows my mind that, you know, we have, um, so, so recently, um, kind of the, the biggest kerfuffle recently in the CRC is, is all of this stuff with Neeland Avenue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the reasoning of those who have tried to kind of support Neeland Avenue has said, well, you know, the authority lies with the local church and, and there's some autonomy in the local church, the denomination, the broader denomination, they really don't have the authority or the power um, to step in and do anything in Neeland, right? So that's been their argument. But then you go on the flip side of that, and you're saying, okay, I'm a member of a local church, um, and the denomination's supposed to not have all of this power, and I'm trying to kind of come up and, and bring another opinion and speak from my own position of authority as a local deacon. And, uh, and you're saying, be quiet. <laughs> and, and they're exercising, the denomination is exercising this amount of authority that doesn't seem like it because it's just kind of ignoring, ignoring what you have to say. And it's kind of like this, um, they're, they're giving with one hand and taking away with the other hand, all, all in the same move right now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, part of that is that I'm just one guy, right? Mm. And it's easy to isolate and ignore one person. Um, so that's probably part of it. But my, you know, my, my church council has also sent letters that have been ignored um, by denominational officials, um, specifically to the, oh, the, the committee to provide oversight to the Office of Social Justice, which was formed a few years ago as a result of a couple overtures where, uh, you know, ironically, the overtures were asking Synod to enforce our church order. Said, hey, that church order article that says only ecclesiastical matters? Yeah, we've got an entire office that's ignoring that article. So could you please tell them to start following it? Well, long story short, employees of the Office of Social Justice did an end run around the overtures and were able to get their own recommendation to the advisory committee to, you know, instead of enforcing church order, let's create another committee because we don't have enough committees already. Oh, and by the way, we'd really like these nine people to be on the committee because they're all our friends and we know they're on our side politically and they're okay with us overstepping authority and they're okay with us pushing a political agenda and they're okay with us censoring and silencing members. So boom, Senate voted to create the committee and Nothing has happened since then as far as enforcing church order. Um, you know, like I said, my my council sent a letter to that committee. Never got a response. Hmm. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of that is just as our whole cultural climate becomes more and more politicized. Um, we're, it's sad to see our, our some of our denominational offices follow suit and and uh, I've talked to a few people even this this last summer with, you know, everything with George Floyd and even just recently everything with George Floyd and, and uh, you know, the denominational statements that were put out about it. I, uh, for one, was not happy with them. 
And uh, neither were any of my African-American friends either. Yeah. They were yeah. like, these, this is not a good statement. Um, and I just thought, not only is it not good, not helpful, I'm like, we are missing an opportunity to promote the gospel in this situation. You can address Amen. this yeah. issue, right? You could even say in light of all of this and then point people to Christ. Um, rather than point people to all of these other political things, like we're, we have a great opportunity just to promote the gospel right now. Right. And we're losing it because we're diving into all of these ideologies. Yeah. Because that statement pointed people to the ACLU, Black Lives Matter Incorporated and votolatino.org. Um, yeah. Those were the links in the statement saying, if you need information, here's where you go. Um, you know, and, and, I actually wrote a response to that, that statement, and I put it up on the network. This would have been last summer when the statement came out. And it's funny that you, you talk about the solution. You, I think you said the word solution. If you didn't, that's what I heard. Because I titled it The Solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we're not going to fix systemic racism by following the world's prescription. Because guess who caused it in the first place, the world and sin. So if you want to, if you want to overcome that, you need the power of the Holy Spirit through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, forgiving our sins and allowing us to forgive those who have wronged us. Because there have been, there are a lot of people who've been wronged through racism or through prejudice of some kind. We need forgiveness, not this quote, you know, the woke anti-racist movement, because that's not forgiveness, that's vindictiveness. And, and the gospel casts that out. And we as a church need to cast that out, not, you know, not issue statements from the denominational headquarters that pretty much just echo everything that the world is saying. Um, and maybe let's sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in there every once in a while, you know, to make ourselves feel better. But it's not going to solve anything. That's not the solution. That's not, if you look at scripture, that's not the solution to sin. Yeah. Amen. And, uh, and, and this, it's this idea, and I don't know how we got here, um, but, but there's almost like a, yeah, yeah, the gospel kind of a, an attitude with <laughs> right. people like, right. you know, you don't, yeah, of course the gospel, but we need to move beyond that. And um, no, I remember that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's not true, but it, but you know what I mean? I, I, it That does seem to be the attitude in a lot of these issues. Yeah. And I, I this interaction, I don't remember if I've talked about it on the podcast, but this interaction my wife and ha- I had with somebody who was talking about um, these initiatives that um, the CRC was doing in, in these um, Hispanic countries where um, abuse, you know, between hus- uh, husbands abusing their wives is a major issue. Mm-hmm. And so we're going down there and we are, we are helping husbands not abuse their wives. We're, we're stepping and we're trying to help fix this issue, which is great. That's mm-hmm. a good thing to do. Um, but we listened to a talk for like an hour and the gospel was never mentioned. And so my wife raised her hand and said, well, can you just give us a, an explanation about, you know, how the, what the gospel has to do with the, the work you're doing, trying to prevent um, wives from being abused. And they said, uh, we don't, we don't, the gospel has nothing to do with this, really. I mean, this is that we're just there. We're not here to force the gospel down their throat. We're just here to, to help husbands not abuse their wives. And so my wife raised her hand again and said, why would they stop abusing their wives if their hearts weren't changed by the gospel? <laughs> 
Like if, if your heart's not changed, who cares about all the different programs and things you're going to go in? Sin is deep down in your core. You cannot fix it apart from Jesus Christ. And you can do a program that will be like slapping a Band-Aid on a gaping wound, and it mm-hmm. may help prevent husbands from abusing their wives for a little bit. And that's okay. Every once in a while, do some triage, try to get that. But eventually the gospel has to come. It has to change hearts, change lives in order for any of these things to really, for change to take place and and last for a long time. Yeah. And there's a place for social programs like that uh, through charities or, um, you know, other nonprofit groups, education, training programs, teaching people how to do better things whether it be your example of, of um, just a marriage relationship or whether it be farming uh, or whether it be, you know, running a, a small business, those sorts of things. But when the church is involved, the gospel must be the number one central focus, the end all be all of the program. And I saw, mm-hmm. I saw the same thing when I went to, um, the Office of Social Justice and I think uh, World Renew uh, partnered with something called the Climate Witness Project. This was about a year and a half ago, uh, maybe two two years ago. I don't remember exactly, but it was before the whole COVID thing. Mm-hmm. And um, held seminars or sessions, about seven or eight of them in the Grand Rapids area. So I went to all of them. I wanted to see what was, you know, what was being offered, what was being talked about. It was all about global warming and reducing your carbon footprint and and many other things related to environmentalism. But the gospel message was absent from virtually the entire program. Prayer was absent from the entire program. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, I I really I think that's good because what they were teaching is not the gospel of the Bible of scripture. They are mm-hmm. teaching a completely separate false gospel. That's works based that if you do these good works, you can atone for your sin of polluting the planet with carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was actually kind of really relieved that the gospel was not anywhere there, but at the same time I was worried, I was very concerned and disappointed because it was paid for by our church ministry share dollars. Um, yeah. You know, it was promoted and advertised by the Christian Reformed Church. So to mm-hmm. me, it's, yeah, yeah, it's. Um, yeah. And when you, what, the one thing I've noticed and, and, and I've gotten, you know, people have gotten frustrated at me for saying this, but that's okay. But what I've noticed is when, um, so I, as I was listening to them talk about, um, so this other instance where they were trying to help husbands not abuse their wives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you take the gospel out of that what's how do you how do you convince this guy to stop beating his wife right usually it goes um it's in your best interest it's what's best for you yeah it has to be a Um, utilitarian argument at that point because you don't have the authority of scripture exactly and what happens is it's almost an anti-gospel do what's (laughs) best for you right and uh and i'm like well that's the problem like you you can't if once you remove scripture, you have no foundation. And now you're the only way you can try to convince this person to stop beating his wife is to say, 
but it's actually better for you. If you treat your wife right, she'll treat you right. And, and then this thing, you know, your life will go smoother, your kids will be good. Um, but then the moment that the moment that it stops being what's best for him, he's going to start beating his wife again, right? Because that's the standard. But when you remove that, and you say, No, the God who created you says, don't do it. And if you want to honor him, you stop doing it. Um, that standard never changes. Yeah. And it applies to all areas of our lives then too, right? Instead of just the relationship between me and my wife. Okay. Now we're talking about something much deeper when we bring in the gospel, because it's, it's my own sinful nature. And it is, it is me submitting to God's call and becoming, you know, a part of his family and letting that apply to every area of my life. You don't have to take it one at a time and say, okay, well, I stopped beating my wife. Now what? Oh, well, now, you know, you should stop cheating at work. Okay. Okay, cool. And we're going to take these things one at a time. And why am I doing this again? Oh yeah, that's right. It's because it's, it's better for me. So in, mm -hmm. in a way it's really just, uh, you know, me trying to get benefit by, you know, okay, I'm going to change my behavior, not because God told me to, or because I'm submitting my will to him. It's because in the long run, it'll be better for me. Amen. Oh, and it's like you had said earlier too, it ends up just being a works-based religion. Yeah. Um, be good, be, be right. a better person. Right. And, and everything will go, you know, your salvation is you being good. Right. Not, not the hope of the gospel that you aren't good. <laughs> um, exactly. yeah, Christ can, Christ will offer forgiveness. And then, and then he'll start working out those wrinkles and cracks and all of the mistakes. And I mean, there's way more hope in that you stop beating your wife, you repent of beating your wife, and then Christ is going to forgive you of all of the past sins. And now he's going to walk with you and help you stop beating your wife. Um, well, there's so much more hope in that than yeah. just, just be better. And that's going to be good for you. Right. Because as we've seen societal uh, norms change, now they're changing faster than ever before. So 10 years ago, what you thought was good related to race relations would now get you labeled a racist and kicked off Twitter. So yeah. you've got to start keeping up with every, oh, now I can't say this word. Okay, now we have to tear down that statue. Whose statue are we keeping this week? Okay, that guy's good this week, but next week we're going to tear down that other statue, right? No, if, if mm -hmm. you just go straight to the gospel and scripture and stay founded on that, stay anchored, stay anchored to that rock of truth. You don't have to follow the winds of the world wherever they're, they happen to be blowing this week of what they're saying is the morally right thing to do and what's going to save you in their never-ending works-based religion. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to wrap up. We're kind of coming to the end of our time. Um, and one of the questions that we end with usually is, uh, is asking um, if the CRC is worth saving, um, and if so, why or why not? Yes. Yes. The, C the, the <laughs> CRC is absolutely worth saving. Um, and you can reach that answer by, by asking a, a deeper question. Is God worth following? Is scripture worth obeying? The answer is yes. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, we, we have such a strong uh, confessional foundation here that it doesn't make sense to rip it all down and try to build something that's that's hopefully at least as good. Well, what we have is 
is proven for hundreds, hundreds of years, really, I'd say, you know, a couple thousand years. Mm -hmm. So why would we tear it down and move on to something else? Now the, you know, then you get into the denominational infrastructure is every, is everything, every office, every program that the CRC is currently involved in worth saving? Uh, no, because some of those things are actually part of the problem. So yeah. if we want to save the CRC, we're going to have to cut away some things that are, to be blunt, a cancer within the CRC. Sorry, I said it. But um, when we have when we have groups that are willing to completely ignore scripture on something as clear as God's design for human sexuality and marriage and the family, the created order, order of the family, when they're willing to just jettison that so quickly. Um, but we as a church, it seems take years and years and years to cut that part out. Um, that's a problem, you know? So yeah. yeah, the CRC is, is worth saving, not because of the Christian reformed church. It's not the denominational building. It's not the bank accounts with the money in them. It's not even, you know, necessarily Calvin university, although it would be great if we could get that back to a confessional school that just pumped out people who were grounded in scripture and loved the confessions and were ready to go out there and, and share that reformed view with everyone. That would be awesome if we could get Calvin back to that, you know, so it's not necessarily the institutions that are worth saving. It would be nice, but it's that confessional foundation um, that has thought through many of these, all, you know, all of these issues to, to one degree or another and gone to scripture and found answers to those questions in scripture and then created these teaching tools like our three forms of unity that can share these with the next generation, with our kids, you know, while reinforcing those, those strong foundations that we have in, in the parents and the grandparents. That's Amen. what's saving. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to wrap up one more question for you, Dan. We have a lot of people who listen, not just pastors listen, actually a lot of deacons and elders and Christian school teachers and, and uh, I don't want to say just old members of the church, but just members of the church. We got, everybody's listening to this podcast and just want to wrap up, give you an opportunity. What do you, what, what advice do you give them for starting to try to reclaim our denomination? What, what would you call them to do? Get involved. It's, it's, it stinks really because we're all busy, right? I've got three young kids. I would much rather be outside working in my garden right now, as much fun as it's, it is to talk to you, Jason. I appreciate you having me on here, uh, <laughs> but we've all got things to do and we're all busy. And a lot of times they're really good things. We're involved in, in our church. We're involved with our friends. We've got our jobs. We've got our families, but you might have to try to get a position on some committee. You might have to put your name in. If you're a deacon, you might have to put your name in as someone to go to classes or, you know, if and when synod ever happens again, to go to synod. Because what happens is the, I want to say the more confessional, orthodox, traditional, conservative members, they say things are good. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to, you know, I've got, I've got these really good things going on in my life. I'm going to do those. And so, 
You know who steps up to be on the committee, who steps up to go to classes, who steps up to go to synod? It's the people who have an agenda and they want to go and they want to change the, the Christian Reformed Church. And they want to start slowly but surely untying those moorings from the foundational you know, confessions and from scripture and letting the, the SSCRC drift just a, a little bit further away from that rock. That's what happens if, if the, you know, the more conservative, confessional, the orthodox people are not willing to get involved. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a long, hard road to replace their, you know, people who need to be replaced at headquarters. There are offices that probably need to be changed dramatically. Um, it's going to take hard work to convince some people to enforce discipline in areas where discipline needs to happen. So for a lot of people, that might just mean go to your council and ask, have you sent a letter about this to the synodical program committee or whoever? Um, so that that's... I think that's the only, that's what's going to change is if we actually get involved and at the same time, keep doing the awesome work that we're doing at the local level. Um, it doesn't mean we abandon that. It means we, we expand on that. Um, and in that way, we can also encourage each other. So we don't have people who feel like they're kind of all, all all alone there are because there are i know good employees at the headquarters i've talked to them you know almost like whistleblower status they feel like they're alone we need more people when a job opens up try to find somebody you know at, at headquarters see if you know somebody who can take that job who's a sound really solid confessional member of the of the crc that's what it's going to take to um you know, turn things around. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for our conversation with Cedric Parcells. Until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season, and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.